Hello, everyone. Welcome to This Week in Mormons, the Sisters Edition with Ariane Smith and Tiffany Hales. And we are sisters, not only in the gospel, (laughs) but as we like to say, we share the same parents. We're real life sisters. We're real life sisters. Here for our month of December. Month of December. Contribution to TWIM. I don't know about you in December, and we are still very early in December. But right now, for me, it is all gas and no brakes. Oh, yeah. I think it just came back. I mean, we've always talked about how December is a crazy month, especially for parents. Um, But I think post-COVID, well, we're not post-COVID. No, we're not post-COVID. What do we call this? Mid-COVID? Acceptance COVID? Acceptance COVID. Acceptance We're all freaking tired of COVID. This is the acceptance COVID. back to what we used to do. During this season of acceptance, (laughs) even though it's not technically post-COVID, COVID COVID still exists. I think we're all just like, yeah, we're over that. During this period of acceptance, it has gone back and it has gone back Hard. Oh, I know. I know. <laughs> so, I mean, this is normal. This is what a normal de- December would be. But I, I think we just forgot because last year was so quiet. Like, so. seriously. So last night I'm, I'm, I'm doing some stuff in my head. Well, first of all, my head, it was Saturday night. We're recording on a Sunday. We normally record on Monday, but we have our extended family Christmas party tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. And so yesterday I had our December Relief Society activity at my house and then I, one of my kids wanted to spend some time together. So I did that afterwards. And then Darren and I did a quick date night and we got home from date night and I'm running around. Well, he, first of all, he asked me on date night, he's like, what does your tomorrow look like? And I started with like a litany of things that I had to do on Sunday, proving that Sunday was going to be no day of rest. <laughs> and we got home from our quick date night and I started doing some stuff and he was like, you weren't kidding about tomorrow. And I was like, no, this has to be done. And I'm not going to have time to do it tomorrow. And I have to have it done by Monday. Oh, you want to hear something funny? We have our release society party on Tuesday night. Okay. And that's my calling. So yeah, you know, kind of in charge. Yeah. Well, I have a daughter that has a choir concert at the exact same time, but this is actually working out in my favor because the choir concert is virtual this year because they still will not let parents come to in-person choir concerts. So I'm going to drop her at the school for her choir concert, which will be like played on YouTube. Then I'm going to go to the church to the release sighting meeting. I'm going to tell everyone, if you see me ditch the room real quick, it's because my daughter's on YouTube. Oh, God. <laughs> I'm just going to have my phone Are you serious? Ready. And then when her group comes up, I'm just going to be like, to you know, my co-people, sorry, I'm out. You're in charge. I'm going out in the hall to listen to my daughter's choir concert. Well, I guess it's a really good so way to multitask. It's kind of working for me, the virtual <laughs> thing. I was mad at first because I was like, I want an in-person choir concert. Well, but now I'm like, this is actually working out for me. Especially if you have to drive her to the school for the choir concert, leave, and then drive and pick her up. I know. We did this in, we already did this once in October for the October oh, choir gosh. concert. And I sat in the parking lot and watched it on my phone in the car because oh, I don't want to have to drive back to the school, which is kind of far from my house. <laughs> so anyways, but it's all good. <laughs> It'll all work out. You know, the virtual thing sometimes just works for your benefit. Sometimes you had not told, you had not shared that story with me. That's, that's kind of hilarious. So what are you doing for your Relief Society December activity? Let's compare notes on that. Oh, we are doing, we always do like cookies and hot cocoa. Ooh. And then we used to do for years and years, like a favorite things gift exchange. And we would okay. do it at somebody's house. Well, this year with COVID still looming, we decided not to do it at someone's house because that would be a lot of people crammed into a very tiny space. So we're going going to to, socially distance to the gym. We're going to do the church. Well, we're going to do the release society room. So we will be like a little bit close together, but probably, you know, 50% will probably be wearing masks. And then we are not doing the favorite things gift exchange. We're doing Christmas around the world. And we have um, a few sisters that have experience in different parts of the world sharing their traditions. And then we have some, a musical group coming to sing and then we're going to sing some, it's just going to be kind of casual fun. Well, we did a brunch. Uh So 
the not the presidency before Relief Society presidency mm-hmm. before me, but the Relief Society presidency before that. So two presidencies ago, okay, they used to host a Christmas open house brunch, and I loved it. They did it on a Saturday morning. Mm-hmm. They did it between nine and eleven. It was totally drop in, so you know you could come anytime between there. You could grab your food and leave, or you could stay and visit. Mm-hmm. You know whatever you wanted to do. The previous presidency didn't do that. And so this is our first Christmas in as a presidency. And I said, I want to do the brunch again. I like the idea of that. And that sounds like fun. Yeah. And and the president and the other council were like, Yeah, that sounds great. And so we did the brunch and it was it was awesome. You know, we just we did it at my house and mm-hmm. because it was drop in, you didn't have everybody there at once. And mm-hmm. we had pretty good turnout and nice. ate yummy food. And it was it it was it's a it's a nice thing to do. Okay, that's fun. You know what? It's cold in December. I don't want to go out in the evening. If I get home when it's cold, I kind of just want to stay at home. Yeah, that is kind of fun to do it on a Saturday morning. Yeah. Okay, so we had our ward party Thursday night. I know uh, Jeff and Jared talked last week. It was Jared last week, right? Yeah, it was Jared they last were, week. They were talking about Thursday ward- night is such an odd night for a ward party. Why did <laughs> they choose Thursday night? I don't know, but it worked out great because okay. we didn't have to take down the chairs. Because somebody was coming in the next night. Oh, <laughs> so, so like you left your chairs and tables up for the next ward? Yeah, it was pretty sweet. Oh, dang. So, okay. Anyways, we did Thursday night. This was our first, and I know Jared and Jeff discussed last week, like how our Christmas parties going to yeah. work. Well, this was our first Christmas party back okay. since COVID in the gym, crammed in a million tables okay. and chairs. Okay. Um, what did you do and what did you eat? It the, was, the, the two most important it questions. It was if nothing had ever, oh, ever changed. Gosh. We had ham <laughs> and funeral potatoes and green beans and rolls. <laughs> it was just as if COVID never existed. <laughs> we were, time, we're back to 2019. We COVID. Also, <laughs> my ward, who I would say I don't know. On Sunday, we're maybe like 50% masked yeah. these days. Okay. Maybe less. Maybe like 40% masked these days. It's it's real hit and miss. I've okay. quit making my children mask because it was a fight. I couldn't fight anymore. You pick your battles. Yes. I choose to mask, although I will take my mask off in sacrament meeting if there's nobody around us. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Fair anyway, enough. Anyway, I was like, how is this going to work at the party? Because mm-hmm. you have to sit down and eat. So mm-hmm. your mask is going to be off anyway. Yes. So I didn't know how it was going to work. So in the car before going in, I was like, well, I'm not making my kids wear a mask yeah. because that's a battle I gave up on about yeah. um, about a month ago. But they also got their first doses of the vaccine. So I'm feeling better about giving okay. up on that battle. But I was like, but what, a, what do I bring my mask in? Do I wear my mask? Is it worth it? Is anybody going to be wearing a mask? Okay. So I'm very curious how this worked out for you. I didn't take my mask in. I was like, uh. screw it. Not worth it. Nobody's going to be wearing Sure enough, nobody was. Even the mm-hmm. most adamant maskers. Adamant ma- well, we had maybe like two families okay. that masked. But even like the most adamant maskers didn't. I think everybody was just like, I don't think this is going to work because we're all sitting around eating. So it's kind of like going to a restaurant. <laughs> so anyways, hopefully we don't have a little COVID outbreak in our world. Exactly. Ward. We should be okay. Our numbers here are pretty good these yeah. days. But yeah. They're def- for now. For now. We're, we're better than Utah. Uh, you know, for a while we were worse than Utah, but yeah. we were better. So anyway, it was kind of fun to be back like, oh, the old, COVID the good old church party, the little program. Oh, except you had to The kids running amok, running amok through the church. Uh-huh. Yes. The ham. Now, did you do Santa? Did you uh, do oh, Santa? No. I have never lived in a ward that does Santa. Oh, oh no, I lie. One year we had um, these two sisters in our ward here that planned the party and they are just a hoot. Uh-huh. They're so fun. The party that year was amazing. Wow. And they did have Santa that year. So what did they do for that party that was amazing? Oh my gosh. They had a film playing in the back for the kids. I okay. don't know if they were showing like Rudolph or okay. something. They had like the lights were down and they had like cool, like, I don't know what they had spinning lights. I don't know. Huh. There was like a disco, but I don't know what it was. It was so fun. Okay. <laughs> It was a party in the gym. But did they serve the ham? You know, I can't even remember because I was so distracted <laughs> by the atmosphere. Okay, because I know I've gone on this soapbox before, but we can go on it again. I'm sick of ham at the I Christmas know, party. I know. So originally, so my Christmas party is this Saturday. So originally our ward Christmas party, they were going to do the traditional mm-hmm. ham, the whole nine yards. And I was just like, eh. 
Well, somebody must have somebody must have heard my grumblings because they have now changed from the ham, and they are getting the meat. They're getting pulled pork from Dickie's Barbecue. Oh, that's a sweet gig. So we are doing. So they're getting the meat from Dickie's Barbecue, and then we had to sign up for all of the sides. Mm-hmm. And um, I I have felt my ward is is very small right now, and the activity isn't super high, mm-hmm. and so I have felt really bad for the 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 couple that's planning our ward Christmas party. So I actually signed up to bring two different things because they mm-hmm. are just struggling to get people to sign up. You know, they've got some really fun ideas. I'm going to, it'll be interesting to see how the execution is because um, they seem to think they live in a ward that has like 500 people who are active and will show up and do stuff. I'm like, honey, that's really not my ward right now. Oh dear. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, well, um, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut because I'm all, you figure that out on your own. Mm-hmm. But here is the big contribution that we made to the ward Christmas party. So they want to do this thing called shadow theater for our ward Christmas party. Huh? I know. So she needed a ginormous, like white screen that you could, she could then put a light behind it and people will act out the nativity in shadow. Oh, she had done it in a ward that she lived in, in Texas. And so, okay. she, so she, she sent me a picture and she said, cause my husband is in construction. She said, can your husband build this for us? And I thought for sure when I suggested it to my husband, he'd go, no, I'm not doing that. Mm-hmm. He was like totally on board. I was like, oh, dang. Oh, look at you building a screen. So the screen is literally like 17 feet wide. What? And eight feet tall. It's it's ginormous. So last week- Is that like the size of a stage? Do you have a stage in your yes, building? Yes, we have a stage in so our building. So is the screen going up the on the screen, stage? The screen is currently, even as we speak, up on the stage. Oh, wow. So- she wanted it done for the first week in December so that they could practice. Mm-hmm. So we did it last weekend. So we did it over Thanksgiving. And fortunately, I have really high ceilings in my house and a big open space. So we were able to build it inside my house and then like take it apart. Now, I have to tell you, though, the building of this screen, probably one of the biggest stressors ever on my marriage. Yeah, that's like Ikea furniture times <laughs> so 20 because there's no instructions. There's no instructions. I don't know what's worse. The bad instructions are no instructions instructions. <laughs> so like seriously, cause Darren would tell me something. I'm like, I can't read your mind. When you say pick it up, I don't know what, where, how, when, why. <laughs> anyway, but we got the screen built. And so before I took it down to the church last weekend, I said, well, Sarah, there's another wardy bar- ward that's having their Christmas party before us. You might want to check with them and make sure that they're not planning on using the stage before I put this screen down there. And she's like, well, isn't the screen movable? And I'm like, Honey, it's six. It's seventeen by eight. It's not very movable. It's in concrete buckets. Oh my! So sure enough, she checked with the other ward, and uh, they had their Christmas party on this Saturday, okay. and they were planning on using the stage. So last yesterday, Darren was like, "Should we? Should we go down and put it up right now?" And I said, "No." I said, "Let's wait till after church is over. With there's going to be kids running around on that stage tomorrow during church." I mean, if this yeah. thing actually survives until this coming Saturday without someone like destroying it, I will be surprised. But it's set up. She can take her actors down there and okay. go practice. All right. Here's your assignment on our poorly neglected Twim Sisters Instagram. Uh-huh. I need pictures of this. Oh, I so took a picture <laughs> of it tonight. I will send it to you. Okay. And you could slap it up on the Instagram and people can see the crazy screen I built okay. for our ward Christmas oh, party. Oh, my. <laughs> so... Okay. Maybe we ought to talk some news. Yes. Let's move on to some news. Now we've covered all things Ward Christmas parties. Um, Okay. First news this week. um, We're going to start with something really yucky. (laughs) Yeah, it is a yucky story. And we wanted to start with this one just to get it out of the way and rip it off like a Mm Band-Aid. We debated even discussing it um, because it hits a little close to home. It hits very close to home for For me. So... um, before I moved here, I lived in uh, Oregon and there, Wilsonville, Wilsonville, Oregon. There is a doctor in West Lynn, Oregon, who is being sued by over a hundred women and girls for um, abuse. Ooh. So, and he's an OBG. Is he an OBGYN uh, or family practice? He's a family practitioner, okay. but he had OBGYN rights at the hospital. Oh, okay. So he also delivered babies, which is why a lot of women liked him because they could he could deliver their babies and also be their pediatrician. Got it. Um, kind so one stop shopping. Yes. 
So he was in my stake. Um, he is a member of the church. The article doesn't say that. I only know that because he was in my stake and I have lots of friends that went to him. Um, anyway, we will link to the article. It was in the Westland tidings. This has actually been um, being investigated for over a year now. And I first heard about it last fall. Um, I like my husband and I stumbled upon a mm-hmm. really brief article that he was being sued by just a handful. I think it was like four or five women last fall. And he had closed his practice and moved to Idaho. He actually lives in St. Anthony now. Oh, lovely. And I kind of was like, oh, that's really gross. That's awful. And I, I wonder if he's practicing over there. I don't think so. I okay. think he's retired. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, I thought, oh my gosh, that's awful. That's really gross. I know so many people that went to him. And then I kind of forgot about it and didn't think about it mm-hmm. again. And then one of my friends um, over the past couple of weeks sent me a newer article that just came out this November um, in the Westland Tidings. And this article really goes into details on the lawsuit and yeah. the allegations against him. And it is really bad. Yeah. I would not recommend reading this article if... It could be triggering for yeah. you if you were an, an abuse survivor. It's very much like Larry Nasser type yeah. stuff um, in his in his yeah. practice, um, exams for young girls that did not need pelvic yeah. exams, um, you know, not wearing a glove, um, lots and lots of, I mean, it's just awful. Reading yeah. this article, I literally felt so sick. sick to my stomach, um, especially because I know so many people that went to him. And um, so he's still under criminal investigation. Nothing. He hasn't been charged yet, but this lawsuit now has over a hundred women on board and girls um, because some of these were young girls. Um, It's, it's just disgusting. Yeah. My friend pointed out like they haven't officially heard anything from the church yet on. And this was like actually raised a really interesting question to me that I haven't really thought about before. At what point does the church make their church discipline public, right? Yeah. Um, He he very well may have been disciplined by the church, and we don't know. Or he might not have because the investigation is still going. Are they waiting waiting for the investigation to wrap up before they do formally discipline him? And if they formally discipline him, will they let those victims know? I mean, obviously, they they probably don't want to draw attention to this. They're not going to make any public service announcement that this guy – I mean – as of now, even the newspaper didn't point out that he's LDS. Yeah. But for those victims, are they going to get notification? See, I don't. How does that work? I don't think they will. And here uh-huh. is my theory on this. So, if you have, for example, someone in leadership who is being investigated for mm-hmm. sexual abuse, in fact, we're going to talk about that in an update on Mormons behaving badly. You may remember um, two or three months ago, I talked about this bishop over in the Nampa area who um, the church got wind that there was an investigation going on. He was a bishop at the time. He did not abuse these girls in relationship to his authority as a bishop. But as soon as the church got wind of it, they um, they immediately released him. Right. And, you know, presumably they began, you know, some sort of a disciplinary thing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I really don't know. I think that obviously the church has a lot of privacy issues related to membership status and things like that. And they never comment on membership status or anything like that. It's usually the person who's being excommunicated that says, oh, hey, I was excommunicated. And so I doubt that we would ever see any public comment from the church on it, especially since it doesn't appear he was... I mean, he probably served in leadership capacities oh, yeah. in the past. He very much has. I know he's but been in Bishop Briggs. Exactly. Um, he's a high priest. I, exactly. I can't remember but, exactly what you know, his calling And, and I don't know. I, I am guessing that, you know, if if it is abuse that happened in relationship to a church calling, they would be working with the victim. Mm-hmm. But where the abuse allegations happened in his medical practice that was not related to a church calling... I suspect they probably will remain um, mum on what they do with him and contacting any Mm -hmm. victims. That would be my guess. Right. Which is rough because the line is blurred. Here's the thing. So many, I think very frequently as members of the church, we seek out people for services. We do. Who are also members of the church. We do. You know, some 
And not always. I actually really try to avoid, especially for that kind of doctor, <laughs> someone who's, yeah. who's in my ward. But even for like my dentist, I really try to avoid having a dentist. I want somebody I don't know that's that in I my don't ward. see yeah. regularly. But, but some people are more comfortable that's having true. someone that they feel like they know and that's true. that they can trust and that they see at church and they build a relationship with. And I think that was the case with a lot of his victims. Yeah. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's a tough line, you it know? Is. It's, it's like, a very tough line. Even if, I don't know. Yeah. It's the whole thing. Are, yeah. The whole thing is just yeah a mess and so sad. It is. And so heartbreaking. So It is. Um, we'll link to that article, but enter with caution. Read with caution. Read with caution. It's really sad. Okay. So our next story is about... Um, Welfare in Utah. And the headline of it is Utah makes welfare so hard to get, some feel they must join the LDS church to get aid. And this was an article that um, ProPublica did, and it was co-published with the Salt Lake Tribune. And this came out last last week, I believe. Mm -hmm. And so it's a very interesting article on how welfare is done in Utah. And I saw a little bit about of this when I lived and worked in Utah because I worked for the Department of Workforce Services. And in Utah, the Department of Workforce Services is one-stop shopping for all public benefits. You go there for unemployment. You go there for Medicaid. You go there for child care assistance. You go there for welfare. You know, any sort of public assistance mm -hmm. is all run through the Department of Workforce Services. So I saw a little bit of, of this. Um from that side when I worked there. But um, here's what bugs me about the article. I'm going to talk about the article, but let me tell you kind of what bugs mm -hmm. me about the article is there's lots of stories in this article of people who requested help from the church and, um, and, and were denied for, for all sorts of various reasons. I, I, I think this article is kind of almost more of a hit piece than it is being fair. Um, I think that there are definitely some valid concerns. I don't want to dismiss this as just being all made up because there are definitely some valid concerns, but I think, I think it's been, I think it's been a little over exaggerated. Mm -hmm. So anyway, the article starts off telling this story of this, uh, of this woman by the name of Danielle Bellamy, and she had sought aid through the state and the state said, Hey, we don't have anything for you. You should contact the LDS church. So she contacted the LDS church and she claims that, you know, she started to receive aid through the LDS church. Uh, they showed up on her doorstep. Uh, they wanted to read out loud from the Book of Mormon, watch LDS videos, and set a date to get baptized. And they said all of this was uh, re a requirement in exchange for her doing, you know, receiving aid. And there's several stories sprinkled throughout the article of that. Um, I definitely believe those things happened. Um, it is just mm -hmm. like anything else. You have the leadership lottery. Right. And you have different bishops that are going to make different requirements. And I think if anything, what I would like to see is I'd like to see maybe more standardization or more training of the bishops so that, because it isn't, I don't think it is appropriate to say, hey, you have to get baptized if you want to still mm -hmm. keep receiving aid. I think that there is a lot of other things like you could say, Hey, we're going to continue to help you out, but we need you to do some service hours in exchange for that. Right. And here's some opportunities to do service. I am totally supportive of that. I think that is a very legit ask. Right. Um, you know, assuming people are capable. Of right. That. Well, and it's so tricky because I mean, like you said, bishops are not trained. Yeah. We've talked about this before. They're not trained counselors. They are not trained social workers. Yeah. Um, they're, they, you know, change every five years, there's a new bishop. So they're, they're winging it on a lot of yeah, these. Exactly. <laughs> and every situation is different and yeah, yeah. There's no standard. No, there's not. And, and, and the way that this ties in between Utah, the state of Utah and the church is in 1996, there was welfare reform. And you may have recalled that that was during the Clinton administration and they were really just kind of cracking down on welfare stuff. And ultimately, they left it up to the states to decide, you know, what the mm -hmm. qualifications are. Utah made their qualifications to receive welfare 
like nearly impossible to meet. In fact, I remember that was a big topic of discussion when I worked for workforce services because the most an individual can qualify for in terms of just cash assistance, I'm not talking food stamps, is $399 a month, but that's only if they have a net income of less than $456 a month. And then there's a two-year cap on that. So there are many people who apply for welfare. There are things that they would be eligible for, right. like maybe food stamps, but they're not eligible for this for this direct cash payment. Well, and the statistics were crazy. I think it said out of like 30,000 applications, yeah. like 3,000 people got assistance. Exactly. And that's a function of what the legislature in right. Utah has done. Again, that you could say, well, that goes back to the church because the legislature in Utah is overwhelmingly made up of members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And um, I think that it's, I mean, it's interesting because it's so ingrained upon us. So the article talks about Welfare Square being built in 1938 amid the Great Depression um, as an intentional repudiation of church by church leaders of government welfare epitomized by Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal. We take care of our own, they famously mm -hmm. said. So I kind of remember that mantra growing up from both mm -hmm. um, my grandma on my mother's side and our own mom in terms of, no, you never accept government assistance. You mm -hmm. never accept government help. You always take care right. of yourself. And so I think that that culturally has been so ingrained on upon us as mm -hmm. members of the church that, you know, when those members are sitting in those positions of leadership, like in the House of Representatives in Utah, that, you know, they do want to cut all of that. They, they mm -hmm. see welfare as wasteful government spending and people should rely on churches and things like that to kind of take care of their own. Right. Which is interesting because the handbook, and I'm sure this the handbook has been through so many changes. Yeah. This is probably a new edition, yeah. but the handbook it says in this article actually says first, first go to, the government. to government aid, <laughs> then you go to the church. Exactly, so. exactly, which is in direct conflict mm -hmm. to again, kind of the mantra right. that you know had has been around in the church for a mm -hmm. while. You know, one of the things that this article was critical of is that there is a kind of a memorandum of understanding between the church and the state of Utah. And I had never heard of this memorandum of understanding, despite working at workforce services. Mm -hmm. But the state of Utah has to engage in uh, a, a certain amount. They have to spend a certain amount of money on certain programs in right. order to then qualify for um, for for um, temporary assistance uh, for needy families, also known as the TANF program. Mm -hmm. So it says Utah has been counting millions in church welfare work every year as part of the state's own welfare budget as a way of meeting the minimum level of effort the state is required to put into addressing poverty so it can collect federal dollars. So it says Utah takes credit for a percentage of hours that church volunteers spend producing and packaging food and clothing for the poor at Welfare Square and similar facilities. Right. You know, when I kind of first read this article, it, it kind of made it sound like, oh, well, they're not spending directly money on these mm -hmm. recipients. The state of Utah isn't spending money directly on these recipients. They're relying on the church to do that, and they're getting credit for the federal government with that. Yeah, it's not really the case. They're getting credit for the work that the church does to aid people, but not for the direct cash assistance or food or anything like that, that the church gives people. Which kind of doesn't make sense to me. How does that count towards their budget of what they're giving out? I I don't know. It didn't make sense to me, but it, the article also said there were 15 other states that are exactly. using the yeah. same loophole. And it's legal under the and law. And Utah isn't even the leader. I think yeah. Georgia and like Missouri exactly. and a couple of those uh, um, southern states were like the ones that were even relying on higher outside organizations to supplement yeah. um, what they were doing as a government. Yeah. And, you know, these are all kinds of organizations, you know, YMCA, United yeah. Way. Um, Catholic Charities. Catholic Salvation Charities, Army. Salvation Army. I mean, this, I don't know. It's, yeah. a, it's a balance. And I it mean, is. Idaho's on the list too of yeah. also states that are kind of using this loophole of counting these other organizations yeah. towards what they're spending um, or towards their programs that they're doing. Yeah. So, and 
it's interesting because in these other states like Idaho and Oregon and Georgia, all these mm-hmm. other states, it's more spread out, right? Between lots of organizations. Yes. It's like, very concentrated like in Utah. In Utah, you got one big one. Yeah. So that does bring a lot of attention to it. And exactly. the one big one is a religious one, yes. which also brings a lot of attention to it. Um, because when it's a religious one, there's going to be different. Well, all of these organizations have their own, you know, standards and, yeah. and requirements for who they help. Um, but a religious one, yeah, I think is always going to have more scrutiny. Yeah. Well, so. and here's another interesting thing that I remember when I worked at Workforce Services is, um, so this article is more talking about direct financial assistance. Uh, as opposed to something like Medicaid or food stamps. Mm -hmm. So um, food stamp eligibility was run through Department of Workforce Services. And I remember for years, um, Utah struggled. Like they were always in trouble with the Mm -hmm. feds because they didn't have enough people on food stamps. And they were running campaigns to let people know, hey, you can be eligible for Mm -hmm. food stamps. And I think it goes back to that that cultural thing that I first talked right. about where you you know for many many years it was you don't turn to the government you help yourself and so members of the church in Utah who needed that assistance mm-hmm. were not um turning to the government to be eligible to see if they were eligible for food stamps they were going to their bishop and and it was just it was kind of a very unique thing right. that I think ties in interesting it ties in in culturally um, and Although the article did say there are um, some legislators that are using that. The the welfare funding is super vague. It is vague. And there are some that are using it on pet projects like abstinence, education versus like actual dollars in people's hands. Exactly. So that's also a little shady because they probably have more flexibility to do that because the church is picking up the slack in some of these areas. Except the article said that... That, that their use of TANF funds towards those things about they, it says that welfare funding in Utah goes to the Utah Marriage Commission, 4-H programs called Teen Spheres of Influence, um, things to, you know, help teens avoid having, you know, premarital sex or, uh-huh. or, or babies when they're not really, you know, ready to take care of them. They said that that is consistent with the federal regulations. Mm -hmm. And in fact, the federal regulations, this is what's crazy, explicitly press states to reduce pregnancies among the poor unless they are in married to parent households. I know. So, so even though these may be some pet projects, the federal regulations are saying, well, throw money at those pet projects. It's kind of a mess. I mean, it's, kind of mess. it's a bureaucratic mess and something needs to happen yes. to clean it up, but I don't know what. I, yeah, I mean, like I said, I think there's definitely, my take on the article was, I think there's definitely room for improvement and mm-hmm. certainly the horrific stories of some people being told, hey, you have to get baptized right. before you can have, you know, more church welfare or, you know, discrimination in receiving church welfare, you know, maybe some standardization of that would probably be really helpful. So you're not subject to Bishop roulette. It would be, but it's also just a really hard issue because church or no church across the board, our country relies on these outside agencies. I mean, the government does what it can do, but we are also hugely dependent on these outside agencies. And where would we be yeah. without them? Like they yeah. are important, not yeah. not just the church. All yeah. these other ones we mentioned, Catholic Charities, exactly. Salvation Army. Yeah. I mean, they're doing a lot of good and they are all picking up the slack for where our government is. Exactly. So. Well, and I thought it was really interesting. The lady who, who, who they focused on at the beginning of the story, mm-hmm. this Danielle Bellamy, she does state at the kind of at the end of article, she said she noted that the state has helped her with food stamps. She has also had many neighbors from the LDS church show her great kindness throughout her mm-hmm. life. So, you know, even though maybe she struggled with, you know, that particular situation. It sounds like she's at least had some good neighbors who have right. engaged in Christ-like help to, uh, to, to, to help her. So yeah. anyway, and I'm going to follow up on that really quick with just another church welfare story that I'll just tell you about. And you can link to it and read it mm-hmm. if you're interested in it. But we took so much time on that one. I don't want to spend a ton of time, but there is, um, an, uh, this was done by Mary Richards. She's KSL reporter. Um, 
it, it seems like it's it should it's weird because she's referencing things that happened in 2010 and 2012, but yet she released this story in 2021. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it was in response to the ProPublica thing, but maybe. it talked about the church, the church, um, the bishop storehouse in North Carolina, and how um, a couple of missionary couples went in there and kind of, you know. Um, uh, revamped it to be more efficient and they weren't able to help more people and just kind of really gave you an idea of what it is like if you are a service missionary in a bishop's storehouse. I know it was cool. I, I thought that was fascinating. It kind of made me want to do that someday. Uh, me too. Sounds like a sweet gig. It, it, it does. <laughs> so, all right. Uh, next article is about the Tabernacle Choir. Oh, this was on their website. We always have to have a Tabcast story. We do love them. We love them. <laughs> So um, this article is about one of their longest um, volunteers. Her name is Peggy Becker, and she was the seamstress, choir seamstress, so for if you, 45 oh my years. So if you loved all those dresses, blame Peggy. All the sparkly dresses. <laughs> so um, this was actually just really interesting to me because I, I find the behind-the-scenes choir stuff to just oh, be fascinating. The technicality. Yeah. Is, yeah. I mean, and this says she was a volunteer. I cannot believe this was not a paid position. Well, I well, I wonder if it kind of was maybe by maybe the, by the time she left, and maybe she started as a volunteer because it did say in 1976 she showed up to um, help with adjustments right. for she these, was just these blue suits that they had purchased for the bicentennial. She was tour. just doing alterations. She had like seamstress experience. She knew what she was doing. And, and the, then she stayed for 40 the years. The rest <laughs> is history. And then eventually she was like the main dressmaker. Um, she helped pick the fabrics. It did say all of the fabrics and colors have to be approved by the camera people. Yes. So that was very interesting. Well, and I thought it so. was interesting too, not just the colors and the fabrics, but like how they drape, how they lay, yeah. what the necklines look like. Yeah. You got to see what that looks like on TV. Before you can order, right. you know, yes. a thousand yards of fabric to make clothing. Yes. So it said that she worked in cramped quarters in the basement of the tabernacle. They called it the dungeon. And then she would also do long hours from home. Sometimes she even re-dyed the cloth when the shipment came wow. and the color wasn't right. She made the patterns. Um, she relined the dresses, like when the lining would uh -huh. wear out, like she'd repair them. Um, it said in here that she would not delegate. It said in here that she was- Oh, I know. I was, thought this was so funny. Like she thought she needed to be the one to make the dresses so they all looked uniform. She would not delegate, although it did say eventually she let some people work on the skirts. And, and she let people cut stuff out. Yes, she let people cut stuff out. She had a couple of people that yeah. were like underneath her. Yeah. And I just thought it was so interesting. She said her favorite that she ever made was the blue dresses that they wore for the Olympics, the oh. Winter Olympics performance. Um, and she had to make the cloth. It said the cloth was late yes. in coming. So at four months, she had to make all of the dresses right. for the choir has, I don't know how many females. Oh, how many did they say that she usually had to make? 210 singers plus plenty of extras okay. for new members. I can't even imagine making 210 dresses. And it said typically she does it in five months yeah. from the time she gets approval and fabric. It's yeah. about five months to get out these dresses. Um, so I just thought that was so interesting. So they recently visited her home, brought her retirement plaque, and then she passed away. I know. Like shortly after that, she just passed away this fall. Well, I kind of wonder because it said finally in October 21, an inscription, 2000 dresses, they visited her home bringing mm -hmm. her that. I wonder if maybe she had had some sort of an illness. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of knew maybe this was imminent this was and they wanted to kind of honor her yeah. beforehand. But yeah, what an incredible story I and know. what an incredible woman. Really cool. I Yeah, very cool. Okay, the next one is um, Drew Barrymore. We're going to talk about Drew Barrymore in conjunction with members of the church. Oh, I love it when celebrities and church news collide. <laughs> so, you know, our little big red giving machines that we've deposited mm -hmm. all over the world for the Christmas season. So Drew Barrymore has a talk show. She had her co-host, Ross Matthews, who you may remember from The Tonight Show. He was Ross the intern on The Tonight Show. He was so funny. He was I so funny. The Tonight Show. So um, she sends him out to one of these vending machines. And they have this two-minute segment. And he's saying, oh, man, you can buy everything here from gloves and socks to chickens and a goat. <laughs> and um, 
She says it's beautifully curated, elegantly designed, and just something you know for everyone all around the planet. And she said, I'm very happy to see something like this taking place. Mm -hmm. She said she was going to head down to Rockefeller Center. And this is one quote that I really liked. She said, I've always wanted philanthropy (laughs) Philanthropy (laughs) to be easier and more accessible for people. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to Rockefeller Center. So I think that was really cool that she highlighted those giving machines on her show. Very cool. We'll have to follow up, see if she posts a picture of herself. Buying a goat. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next story is a missionary was shot in a church in Alabama. This is a wild story. And thank goodness he's okay. Yes. And this um, just happened last Friday yeah, night, two days ago. It happened December 3rd. So just two days ago, his name was Elder Michael Fauber of Dayton, Ohio. Um, this was in Birmingham, Alabama, in the Birmingham Stake Center in Vestavia Hills. Um, so it sounds like there was a group of them. It says they were at a weekly athletic activity was being held and basketball was being played. So your average basketball yeah. night at the church. Um about 8.30 p.m., an unknown individual came into the building. Elder Fauber, Fauber, I don't know how to say that, spoke to him. A few minutes later, he was shot multiple times, and the shooter fled. I they know. are still looking for him. So this That's elder was rushed to the hospital, went into surgery. He sounds like he's going to be okay. His parents have flown out uh, to be with him. They're giving counseling to the other missionaries that were there and yeah. witnessed this. And... Um, Thank goodness he's going to be okay, but like, just how crazy. That is so that is crazy. the most random, awful yeah. thing. Yeah. And I hope they find this guy. Exactly. Okay. So the next story is we have, um, you know, BYU likes to invite people to campus to speak. Mm-hmm. And we have discussed at length various speakers that they've had. And usually we are discussing members of the church that they have come mm-hmm. speak that, say things that rile people up one way or the other. (laughs) Um, This time, the headline of this article, and this is uh, Deseret News, it is not often that a speaker at an official campus forum at Brigham Young University is someone who has been arrested at least three times in the past five months. They're not wrong about that. We just don't invite people who've been arrested to I come know. and speak. This so, was like really interesting. It was really fascinating. Me. So they invited this gentleman by the name of the Reverend Dr. William Barber II uh, to come and speak. And he spoke at Joe Biden's inaugural prayer service. Uh, he was at the Vatican in October. Um, he created national news in Ahmad Arbery's trial because he was invited to come sit in the courtroom. And the defense attorneys said, judge, we want you to ban all black preachers from the courtroom. And the judge is like, that did not um, go over well. <laughs> no, I'm not happy with that request. Go away. Um, anyway, so he came and he spoke at BYU and his big thing is he wants to bring an end to poverty and he's kind of trying to pick up from where Martin Luther King's, um, poor people March in 1968 ended. And so he said, he said, you know, to the BYU students, he said, you know, let's put all our energy together. Let's have a moral march on Washington. Let's believe in the beloved community. Let's refuse to give up on democracy. And he really kind of, you know, you can, I, I can, I didn't see the speech. I'm reading it, but I'm kind of but picturing reading it in, his quotes. You can picture yeah, him just like picturing him very Southern Baptist, revving people up, getting yeah. getting the crowd going, which is kind of exciting for BYU. We don't usually have speakers that are like, "Come on, we <laughs> so, don't get raise the roof speakers at BYU. No, we get much more reserved people." But he ended up with a robust standing ovation when he invited them to, you know, hey, come participate, you know, Mm -hmm. do this moral march on Washington, help us end poverty, help us end racism. So they're actually doing a march next summer. They are doing a march. And he invited the BYU students to come and join. It is scheduled for June 18th Mm -hmm. of 2022. And um, just to follow up on what he was arrested for, he was arrested at the U.S. Capitol on June 23rd and also on August 3rd during nonviolent demonstrations by the Poor People's Campaign for a $15 minimum wage and for the People Act, a voting rights bill. And it said he was also arrested in July during the sit-in outside the offices of Senator Kristen Sinema of Arizona (laughs) over similar issues. 
And then he helped lead a four-day march in Texas in July to to protest voter suppression legislation. So um, first of all, I, I, I was quite impressed with BYU in bringing a speaker in like this that is so kind of outside their scope of what they normally bring in and to, you know, kind of um, give the students a different way to look at it, give a different feel. I see nothing wrong with this, like some different perspective. And it sounds like he really lit a fire in some people for helping the poor, which what's wrong with that? But I will say, as I read the article, I was like, Ooh, somebody's not going to like this. I know. So I promptly had to hop on the Deseret News Facebook comments and go down the rabbit hole. And sure enough, on the Deseret News Facebook comments, it was all about how he's a leftist Marxist communist disguised as a wolf in sheep's clothing, pretending to do nice things. (laughs) Why did BYU invite him? They shouldn't have done that. Oh man. Uh, You (laughs) can It's always going to be someone. Exactly. It's what happens when you go into the comments. <laughs> but I love that rabbit hole. She does. Okay. <laughs> okay. Next article is about women's conference. BYU's women's conference is taking a year off in 2022 and Ooh. returning in 2023. I thought this was interesting because I would have thought if they were taking a year off, it would have been last year in high mm. COVID season. Well, but the past two, done digital for the yeah, last two years. The past two years during the pandemic, they've done digital. And I can't remember. I don't think they had anybody come to campus at all. No, I know they didn't. I know they didn't the first year, but I think even in yeah. 2021, I don't think they had anyone come to campus at all. It was just digital. Now, this usually takes place in April, um, like the last weekend uh, in April. Yeah. Yeah. Usually it's end of April and it's like two or three days, Mm -hmm. not to be confused with education week, which is at the end of August and it's like a whole week. So um, they did digital the past couple of years and now they're taking this year off. It says um, they quoted one of the organizers. Her name is Frost. Renata Forced, Renata Forced. She said, we're looking forward to exploring options for a conference in 2023 that can continue to meet these needs. Um, so it looks like they're just kind of reassessing how they're going to run this in the future. Yes. So I don't know if maybe they're trying to decide if they should keep it all digital or if a they mixture. should do a hybrid, which in the past they have had like certain talks, um, yeah, th- were available, made online. available digitally, but never the whole thing. Yeah. So this will just be interesting to watch and see what they do. I've never been to the women's conference, but I, I know either. a lot of people that really love it. Yeah. Um, I've and, had friends. And part of it come. is Going there and spending mm-hmm. a couple of days with your girlfriends and right. having chick time. Right. So so we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, we will. Mm. All right. I just want you to know that last week in England, at least in Northern England, mm-hmm. church was not canceled. It was just moved <laughs> outside. What does this mean? Well, there is this uh, uh, northern part of England called uh, Arwen, I think is how it's pronounced, or excuse me, Storm Arwen arrived to the uh, northern part of the British Isles on Friday, November 26th. It was an extra tropical cyclone, and apparently it had wind gusts of 100 miles per hour that were Arctic chilled with snow, ice, rain, and it's waking in its, in its wake and resulting in three deaths and lots of property damage. So the storm happens on Friday. So there is a branch up there, and it's called the uh, and 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 branch. I probably horribly pronounced Elwick that. Elwick branch. Yeah. Anyway, so it's a branch up there. So what mm-hmm. they decided to do is they had their Zoom service and they did the sacrament, and then after that, their branch president said, "Okay." We are going to move our meeting. We're, we're done with our services here. We want you to all go out in the community and serve. And so that's what he encouraged the members of his branch to do is they changed it from uh, Sunday services to providing Sunday service. And they went out and there's one particular story where there was a, a business owner and her roof had come off of her business and it was going to take her several days to get this fixed. And the members came in and they were able to help retrieve her roof from the neighbor's yard and they moved what furniture survived and they had 15 members that worked on the project. And and she was just amazed at the, at the help and just all of the different things that they did to 
to help their community. And I really liked that because that's yes. exactly what it's supposed and to be. And they wore those yellow vests. Wait they a did wear the yellow Didn't the yellow vests say Mormon Helping Hands? They probably did. Have they rebranded the yellow vests? Maybe they have. You know, here's what I wonder. So is there closets in every state? I know. How do that they? That are filled with boxes how do they of get yellow the vests? vests? How do they get them there so fast? Do they overnight them? I, you know what? I'm thinking, no, I'm thinking, I'm thinking there must in, in maybe, maybe somebody knows this who can tell us. I'm thinking maybe that in every stake, there is like a closet yes. full of da- disaster stuff. Ask Kurt. Kurt will know. Oh, Kurt will know. Yes, Kurt, you need to answer this question. Where, are the yellow vests kept on a stake level? Does every stake have some? Because they did. They said Mormon helping, Mormons help. Mormon helping hands. Mm-hmm. They 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 didn't get the message that yeah. we are not Mormons they anymore. Fix those vests yet. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, next article is out of Fox Five in San Diego. There was vandalism in Old Town San Diego, and it hit the Mormon Battalion historical site. Very sad. Which is unfortunate. Um, you know, they said that they spray painted graffiti on um, a mural showing members of the Mormon battalion. And they wrote, may all colonizers fall, death to the white man's world, death to white supremacy, no thanks, no giving, and land back on other statues and plaques um, around the area were vandalized. So that's unfortunate. And they have not found who the vandals are. No. So So those missionaries at the Mormon battalion will probably be cleaning some of that up. Exactly. All right. Well, I think that finishes it us us for news. Mm-hmm. So we are going to move on to Mormons behaving badly. Um, I'm going to first start out with two updates and then just an additional information on another story. So update number one, um, as I referenced a few minutes ago, there was a bishop in Nampa, Idaho, who was pulled about a year ago from being a bishop because some charges of sexual abuse came up. They did not involve anybody in his congregation, but apparently um, two children that were known to him. And so he has reached a plea agreement in this case. So I guess we could say he is no longer alleged to have committed sexual abuse because he did admit to it. Um, He is the plea agreement is um, he is sentenced to uh, 10 years in prison three fixed with seven indeterminate. What that means is he will serve uh, three years in prison. And then after that, he will be on probation. But I thought what was really interesting is this was all negotiated as part of the mediation. And if he successfully completes his sentence, it says the prosecution is not going to resist his efforts to be removed from the sex offender registry. So Hmm. Don't mind Ariane in the video right now because we just got a warning that the battery on the laptop is low. Apparently, we accidentally kicked the cord out. So for those of you watching on video, (laughs) we're we're good. (laughs) Wondering what's going on. We hope we're good. We better wrap this up. So... We have a conviction there. My next update, of course, is Chad Daybell. I have to have a monthly update on Chad Daybell. I think I told you last time that they had moved his trial over here to Boise, but now we have a date for his trial. His trial is set for January of 2023, so a little over a year away. So if you were in the Boise area at that time, just pray that you don't get a summons for jury duty. Uh, and we won't, we won't, we've talked way too much about this, but I fully expect a three ring circus at our County courthouse. Yes. All right. And then finally, my last thing I want to say on Mormons behaving badly. Okay. So Jeff totally stole my thunder a few weeks ago (laughs) with the Idaho sheriff who the young women show up at his house, you know, with a give thanks sort of a thing. And he goes out and threatens them with a gun. I so wanted to talk about that on Mormons Behaving Badly. So many Idahoans in there. <laughs> Seriously, I'm, we're so sorry. <laughs> anyway, so in preparation for this show, I thought, okay, I'm going to get online and see if there's any update to that story since I didn't get to break it. And there is not an update. It's currently being investigated by the AG's office. But one thing that I did discover, which I found very interesting, was this same sheriff in 2016 there was a bill in our Idaho legislature to make mandatory testing of rape kits. And he opposed that bill. And his basis for opposing that bill is he said, well, most rapes that are reported really aren't rapes. They're people who have consensual sex and then regret it. So I don't want to spend the money testing rape kits for when there's really no rape. 
Yeah. How do these people get elected? <laughs> Seriously. That is so bad. I, 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 I'm not sure which is worse. That like, statement of what he did to the young women. Terrifying. It's it's so terrifying. Do not get <laughs> Hope you don't get raped in his county. Seriously, because he won't goodness. believe you. It's awful. Anyway, so yes, there's what I know about Brother Roland. Okay, well. Okay, should we mm. move on to a much lighter topic, our favorite things? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, my favorite thing that I chose this month to share is one of my favorite holiday treats. Ooh. And it's from Trader Joe's. So I'm sorry if you don't have a Trader Joe's Ooh. where you are, which is probably most of the East Coast, right? Isn't Trader Joe's a Western United States thing, or has it moved? No, 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 no. they're all over they're now. They're all over because I follow this blogger in New York That's City, and she right. always talks about what she gets at Trader Joe's. I think they have them all over okay. now. They used to be. Um, okay, so Trader Joe's has these little mini ice cream cones, and they have them year round. But at oh, Christmas, I've never heard of these. You haven't had the mini ice cream. I've cones? not had the mini ice cream cones at Christmas. I think time, I need these in my life. You need them at Christmas okay. time. They bring in the best flavor of all. It's a peppermint ice cream flavor in a little mini cone, and it's covered with chocolate on the outside of the peppermint ice oh, cream. I'm so gonna love it's that. It's so good. It's almost like my Hagen Dawes thing I talked about last time. Yeah. Only maybe in a smaller caloric yes. they're, intake. They're little, so they're just like the perfect tiny treat. Yes. Although since they're little, I usually do it too. <laughs> but <laughs> they are so good. Mini peppermint ice cream cones from Trader okay. Joe's. But good luck finding them. When you find them, buy four boxes because they won't be there Ooh. next time you go. It's like a Costco thing where like Ooh. they get them, they're gone. They they're get gone. them, they're gone because okay. people just buy them out. Okay. All right. Well, my favorite thing this month is actually two different podcasts that I listen to. Oh. And they're podcasts that we've talked about, but they're episodes I want to tell you to go talk about or go go <gasps> listen to. I love a good podcast. So my first one is the podcast Mormon Land that is mm -hmm. done by the Salt Lake Tribune. Okay. And normally it is the editor for the Salt Lake Tribune and Peggy Fletcher Stack, and they are interviewing various people. Well, in a turn of events, the editor interviewed Peggy Fletcher Stack. Oh, it I have not listened to this such one. such an interesting interview. Uh -huh. She, he did it on the anniversary of her being at the newspaper for 30 years. Okay. And so they talk about how she got started at the newspaper, kind of much like the dressmaker for the Tabernacle mm -hmm. Choir. She had no intent to be the religion reporter for the Salt Lake Tribune. Mm -hmm. And it was just supposed to be kind of be a temporary little gig. And 30 years later, she's still there. There she is in and all her glory. Exactly. With, with her many haters. Exactly. <laughs> and and adoring fans. Exactly. <laughs> and she talks about access to church leaders and okay. access that she gets and access that she doesn't get. Oh, I got it. Which is very fascinating. She talks about, she doesn't overtly come out and say, yeah, because I work for the Salt Lake Tribune, I'm discriminated against compared to, you know, those <laughs> Deseret News people, but it's very much implied. But then she has a real, it's very interesting. She talks about President Nelson's first news conference. Mm -hmm. So she got in with the first question and she asked them this multi-part question because they were only allowed to ask one question. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't answer the question. He starts talking about how long he knows her and her family and all of her ancestors. <laughs> and, and, then, and then finally he's like, and what was your question, Peggy? Oh, that's so She's funny. She's so dumbfounded. Anyway, so super interesting. Oh, listen. yeah. I'm going to need to listen to that. My second one that I liked was done by the Church News. Mm -hmm. So they did a podcast and they interviewed Sister Oopdorf and her daughter, Sister Evans. Mm -hmm. And they were talking about the, they were talking about two things. They were talking about the um, Chris Kindle market in Salt Lake City, which is kind of a German European style market that runs for three weekends up at the, this is the place thing. But they were also talking about all sorts of Christmas family traditions mm -hmm. that the, that the Oopdorfs have in their family. So I really liked that. But one thing I want to say that I thought was so interesting when I was listening to this podcast is um, I like to listen to these podcasts because generally they're a little bit more off the cuff mm -hmm. and less rehearsed. Right. Sister Uppdorf was totally rehearsed. Oh, really? I was just like, okay. I, I mean, she sounded rehearsed. Uh -huh. I don't know. Maybe this is how she is in real life. But it was like they had given her the questions in advance and church PR had had drafted a, a response huh. for her and she is saying the response and and there was nothing bad about what she was saying she was saying very beautiful things but it just didn't seem as kind of 
off the cuff. Right. Um, but her daughter was very off the cuff. Huh. And her daughter spoke a lot more than she did. So it kind of made me wonder, maybe, you know, with the language issue, because mm-hmm. obviously English is Sister Uppdorf's second language, that, you know, maybe she just doesn't feel comfortable speaking off the cuff in English. And, and maybe this is a more comfortable environment mm-hmm. to have something prepared for her. But um because and and then her daughter, like I said, ended up speaking kind of about twice as much as she did. Hmm. But in any event, it was a great podcast because it just kind of gives you some insight as to German Christmas traditions and what they do in the Uppdorf family. And I just loved it. Oh, fun! I yeah, I okay. want to listen to both of those. Yes, yes, you do. Okay, well, I think that about okay. wraps it up for us tonight. Twim Nation, we hope you have a very Merry Christmas because I don't think we'll be talking to you again until after we are into the new year of 2022. Mm -hmm. So um, have a very Merry Christmas. We appreciate your support. Um, If you have any questions or comments, you can email Jeff at contact at thisweekinmormons.com. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and the Instagram and Jeff would really appreciate it if you'd like to be a Patreon supporter and pledge three bucks a month to help him keep our servers running. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Deck the halls with boughs of holly. Tis the season to be jolly. Don't we now our bright apparel? Join the ancient yuletide carol. Blazing you before us